2: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows
1: podcast with George Galloway. It's hard to believe that Benjamin Netanyahu is not seeking a war in the Middle East. It's very difficult to believe that he is unable or unwilling otherwise to stop the murderous rampages of both the settler communities in the occupied territories and those of his own forces. Undercover, Israeli operators, looking as much like the locals as they could, were rampaging through the camp and the town of Jenin just in the last 48 hours and shooting anyone that moved, including in the back, and murdering them in cold blood. But the conduct of the settlers in the Al-Aqsa Mosque during Ramadan is of course a deliberate provocation, and not just to the Muslims in Palestine, and not just to the Christians in Palestine either, whose patriarch said that the attacks on the Al-Aqsa Mosque by Israeli settlers and forces were exactly synonymous, tantamount to attacks on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre here in this Easter week. The rampages were deliberately planned. The Israeli soldiers who piled into the mosque to defend the illegal settlers, rampaging through it, tramping on prayer mats, and who knows what else profanity were there to be protected by the Israeli soldiers who came tooled for the occasion, night after night after night. Smoke bombs, gas bombs, rubber bullets, and then finally, real live ammunition. This is a stepping up of settler and soldier violence against the Palestinian people, which can only have the effect, and I argue only have the intended effect, of forcing the Arab countries around Israel, now reunited with Iran in the historic peace deal from Beijing, now to step up their solidarity with the Palestinian people under such murderous occupation, and indeed to go beyond the levels of solidarity they have offered before. It's not that the Arabs are any longer unable to do it. You could hit Tel Aviv with a missile from Yemen, from Iraq, from Lebanon, from Syria, and that's without any of the collaborating countries, Egypt or Jordan, even joining in. And the missile technology that exists now in those countries numbers these missiles in the hundreds of thousands. No iron dome could possibly protect against them. Every town, city and village in occupied Palestine would be within range of the rockets from all of those places I have mentioned let alone from the Islamic Republic of Iran, whose firepower is of an altogether different order. The CIA said today that within a week, Iran will have enough uh, uranium to actually create a nuclear weapon, though they continue to say they have no intention of making one. In other words, the shaping up of the various forces is extremely alarming to those of us who do not want to see another general war in the middle east but it may also explain why netanyahu said today that israel will not be supplying kiev with weapons and he added this matter is now closed bringing to an end a ping-pong match of speculation as to whether the United States would manage to strong-arm Israel into releasing some of its formidable armory to the Ukrainian armed forces, who are fast running out of ammunition, which cannot be supplied by the NATO allies. The German chief of military staff said yesterday that Germany could no longer meet its commitments to NATO because its armory was so depleted supplying the proxy war in Ukraine. So if the Americans can't arm them and the Europeans won't arm them any further, they're casting us a, s- a further net aside to try and fill the gaps. But Lula in Brazil, which possesses a huge stockpile of weaponry, has ruled out supplying weapons to Kiev and stated that Brazil was in the business of making peace, not fanning the flames of war. And so the tide is turning. Bakhmut has been liberated, virtually all of it, 88% of it. The last time I looked at the war map some hours ago, admittedly. And all of the centre, all of the administrative and governmental buildings all of the vital infrastructure of Bakhmut, not that there is much of that left standing is in the hands of the russian forces leaving open a wide swathe of eastern and southern ukraine for further russian advance of course we're expecting any minute now the spring offensive by zelensky's forces aren't we well no according to leaked documents leaked by whom we'll explore with former CIA and Pentagon official Larry Johnson later in the show. We can learn from those leaked documents that the United States is, amongst other things, spying on all of its friends. Nothing much changes there. Even Mrs. Merkel's personal handy phone in her handbag was being routinely listened to not by Joe Biden or by Donald Trump but by the saintly Barack Obama so if Mrs. Merkel was being bugged by the United States it is no surprise that the South Korean leadership the Israeli leadership leaders across the alliance are being routinely spied upon by their best friend their big brother the united states of america but we learned many other things from those leaked documents amongst them that the spring offensive will now likely be a summer offensive and may even slip into the autumn just before the snows fall again it's because the united states has made clear in those documents that only very limited advance and recapture of territories is even remotely possible by any new spring, summer, or autumn counter-offensive by Ukraine. As Scott Ritter and Colonel McGregor and many other seers of the military field have made repeatedly clear, the Ukrainian army is a busted flush and its allies no longer able to put lead in its pencil. And therefore, the case for a negotiated end to the conflict becomes surely overwhelming. Unless, of course, you don't care a damn about Ukrainians. We know that the West didn't care a damn about the Ukrainians in the east of the country for eight long years before Russia announced its special military operation. Didn't matter how many thousands of those were killed, they were the wrong type of Ukrainians. But it doesn't matter to the NATO alliance whether Western Ukrainians get killed in large numbers either. That's obviously true, because the same leaked documents make clear that the military losses in Bakhmut, defending a territory they tried to claim was militarily insignificant, were, as described by the Pentagon itself in quotation marks, catastrophic, catastrophic losses of Western Ukrainian life All for what? As more and more Ukrainian soldiers are themselves asking on video, freely available on the internet if you're interested. You'll not see it, of course, on the mainstream media, which continues to be staffed overwhelmingly by practiced liars. As Elon Musk revealed devastatingly, In an interview with the BBC, which had not been scheduled, the BBC reporter turned up unannounced without an appointment at the uh, Twitter headquarters in San Francisco uh, and stuck microphones in people's faces. Musk, learning of it, invited the BBC reporter, if I can call him a reporter, for a sit-down. But he made it a space on Twitter ask me what that means, but it means that everybody on Twitter could watch it happening in real time. It meant, of course, that the BBC could not edit out the most embarrassing parts of what can only be described as a match between uh, Mike Tyson and Joe Bugner. It was not uh, a mismatch, it was a no contest. It was a pummeling from Musk of the BBC which made a mockery of those of us who are forced on pain of imprisonment to pay the BBC a licence fee, which is not to be confused with government funding, you understand. It's just that the government will put you in prison if you don't pay. Even Stalin didn't think of that one. And the BBC have the gall to say that they object to being called state funded when only A Jesuitical exercise in sophistry could confuse the license fee with government funding. It is entirely the same thing, a distinction without a difference. And the BBC, which was extremely happy to see people like me falsely labelled by the old Twitter and not removed by the new Twitter as Russian state-affiliated media, when I am not now, nor have I ever been, Russian state-affiliated media. But the BBC and NPR in the United States of America have now, at least in part, been labelled for what they are, which is mouthpieces of their respective states. NPR has announced that it's quitting Twitter. A nation mourns the world more, how are we going to survive without the 50 NPR Twitter accounts any longer? I am myself bereft, aren't you? But they themselves on their website, which they've now taken down, stated that federal funding was crucial to the very existence of national public radio, NPR. These hypocrites that like to go around calling other people mouthpieces of this government or that when they are called out as the mouthpieces they are. and not Russian state affiliated media, but the BBC is British state affiliated media. NPR is American state affiliated media. At least Musk has the benefit of truth in regard to both of them. But anyway, the BBC hapless hack, who will never show his face in public again, surely, accused Musk of presiding over an explosion in hate speech on Twitter since he took over. Musk did the very intelligent thing of asking him to give a single example. I can't give you an example, said the BBC hack but my people tell me it is so give me one example asked musk and the bbc reporter squirmed as we all did when we saw the two videos released this week of joe biden and the dalai lama joe biden is a danger to children as overwhelmingly you all agree in the poll that we are currently running if joe biden Put his hands on my daughters like that, I would punch them out, wouldn't you? Who would allow their child to be manhandled by this sleazy old man who may or may not have the benefit of an insanity defense? But any other person behaving like look where his hand is, any look on that girl's breast. Any other person behaving like that on camera would be forced to resign. But this sleazy old man continues, look at him, continues to fondle and stroke and sniff and feel and grope young children anytime they are brought before him. And the children look mighty frightened if you ask me. The Dalai Lama, Dulala, La, Dalai Lama, is, of course, an even more obscene example. He was filmed this week, not just kissing a little boy, but French kissing a little boy on camera, and asking the little boy into a microphone if he would like to lick his tongue. If any other religious leader, in the entire world, were to have done that on camera, he would be forced out of office by the end of that working day. Why was the Dalai Lama not? Dulali is a CIA employee, that's why. The Dalai Lama, though he has hoodwinked various perfectly coiffed, tailored and pompadoured, Uh, Hollywood stars and the women are just as bad over the decades, is in fact, as Rupert Murdoch called him, a mad old monk shuffling around in Gucci shoes. But if you're an American taxpayer, it's you who's paying for the Gucci shoes. Why is the American taxpayer shelling out tens of millions of dollars to this old fraud, this pervert, I'll tell you why. Because the Dalai Lama is a useful knife with which to stick into the side of China. That's his only attraction. You think the powers that be in the Pentagon, in the State Department, in the White House, in the Congress give a toss about Buddhism? You really think that? They're supporting the Dalai Lama because he's a useful idiot, a useful pervert that they can use against China, along with all the other pieces in the hellish orchestra. They deploy impermanency, permanent residence, to weaken, divide, discredit, blacken the name of China. Well, you pay them if you want to, but you're a fool. If you do, there's much more of this coming up because this is the mother of all talk shows. It's that time of the year. Your vacation
3: is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to
2: the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
1: Now here's the poll we've got running. Should President Biden and the Dalai Lama be kept away from children? It is utterly extraordinary numbers. On Twitter, there they are. Joe kissing the Dalai, kissing the leader of the Taiwan breakaway territory in China. And although it's a mock-up, you can easily imagine it if you've got a strong constitution. Here's the uh, quiz, or the poll rather. Should President Biden and the Dalai Lama be kept away from children? On Twitter, yes, 95%. No, 5%. On YouTube, yes, 97%. No, 3%. On Telegram, yes, 97%. No, 3%. On YouTube community poll, where nearly 10,000 people have already voted, yes, no 3%. How do you feel about that, great citizens of America? How do you feel about that, those of you who follow the Buddhist faith and who've been hoodwinked by the Dalai Lama? Between 95 and 97% of 12,000 people so far, and the show has just begun, think that your leaders should be kept away from children? Dear God, what a depraved mess we are in. Larry Johnson was once at the heart of American power politics. He's a veteran of the CIA and of the State Department's Office of Counterterrorism, and is the founder of Berg Associates and is one of our most popular guests on the mother of all talk shows. So I'm delighted to be able to welcome Larry back. Because, Larry, I wanted to talk about these leaked documents. I lean to uh, the point of view that these documents are genuine. I know that some, that may include you, lean away from that. But the more I read of them, the more they have the ring of truth uh, to me. What's your take on that? And if they are or are not real, where did they come from?
2: George, I fully agree with you. They're 100% genuine, authentic. And it could only have come through a really a small number of people because that, most, most folks don't understand the classification level. So if you see something that's secret, well, that secret can be shared with people from foreign countries. But there were also documents that were labeled secret, no foreign. Well, those can't be shared with foreigners. And in this case, the United Kingdom, personnel from the United Kingdom, including Boris Johnson or Rishi uh, Sunak, they're foreigners. So you can't share it with them. There's also top secret material. Now, Some there are occasions in which top secret material is shared. But uh, the, the, this document that has been released came out of the CIA operations center. Uh, I worked in that operations center in the summer of 1986 for two months. So that kind of document is familiar to me. Uh, I think this was leaked by someone who was so disgusted by the line that is going on within the Biden administration, particularly out of the Department of Defense, out of the director of National Intelligence uh, Agency, and out of the CIA itself, because the war in Ukraine is described in those documents is quite distinct from the great victory that's being described regularly in briefings by people like the Secretary of Defense,
1: Austin. I think that is the uh, greatest chasm. Uh, the, 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 the reality of the war, as it emerges from these documents, compared to the surreality of the briefings and indeed the subsequent mass media uh, reportage of the conflict is so vast that it must be utterly demoralizing to the War Party that this is now in front not just of foreigners, Larry, (laughs) but to every Tom, Dick and Harry in the world with internet connection.
2: Yes, I, I have a friend who's an intelligence officer with one of the military commands. And he told me when these first came out, he was surprised that this had not happened before because he said there's a lot of dis, disgruntlement and unrest and unhappiness among the rank and file. They're, they're wondering amongst themselves, what the hell are we trying to do? Because they recognize, for example, all this public talk about uh, counter-offensive by Ukraine, yet what is clearly revealed in those documents is one, the air defense system of Ukraine is being degraded in such a way that it will be non-existent by the middle of May. Uh, number two, that the United States and NATO are not able to supply Ukraine with enough shells to be able to respond to the overwhelming barrage that they're receiving from Russia. and even with t- commitments to ramp up production. Well, how do you carry out a counteroffensive if you don't have artillery, you don't have armor, you don't have air cover, and you don't have air defense? Uh, it's, 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 it's suicidal. It's madness. And I think that uh, you know one person or more than one person took the route of an Edward Snowden. They decided to blow the whistle. They got the documents out of this... Uh, these documents would have been held in something called a, a SCIF, a se- Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. So you, people can't just walk in there with a camera and take pictures. Whoever did this took the documents out, folded them, got them to a safe location, then photographed them. The reason for the photograph is to try to obscure the digital signatures. Uh, there, there are markings on, those, on the documents, if they are not treated in a different way, that can help tell you exactly what printer they came off of. So this is one of the things that investigators will be looking for uh, right now.
1: The investigation, of course, is one that might never come to a conclusion if, uh, if the uh, intention is to throw sand in our eyes by implying that these documents are not genuine or in part not genuine or have been altered or falsified in some way. It's difficult to see which way uh, for the American uh, state, the deep state, to turn on this, because it's only a month or two or three before we can see that they were lying, that there was no counteroffensive, <laughs> and if there was, that it was a flaw. I mean, they're trying to buy time, but buy time for what, Larry?
2: Well, at the same time, they've got the pretense, this false story, that it is a unified NATO, that we're all pulling in the same direction to oppose Russia. And that's just not the case. As you've seen, the United States is busy trying to impose sanctions on Hungary France has come out and spoken very clearly about the need to not be saddled, chained together with the United States, particularly when it comes to issues like Taiwan. So, and the the entire premise of U.S. foreign policy is literally unraveling over the last two months in the wake of the Putin-Xi Jinping summit in Moscow. We now see Saudi Arabia taking a completely independent course. We see the Chinese with the Saudis negotiating an end to the war in Yemen. That's underway. We see uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran reaching peace. Because in the past, the United States used the Saudis as a wedge to try to provoke conflict in the region. You see Russia working with Turkey to bring uh, pro Prochuan between Turkey and Syria. All of a sudden, several cornerstones of U.S. foreign policy are just falling apart. So this, is, this goes much beyond just the war in Ukraine. The, the war in Ukraine is, in fact, somewhat of a symptom of the loss of U.S. power and influence in the world. And thank God, because you, what the United States has been doing over the last 25 years, is it, it, it's, it's a vicious bully. And it's been killing people and leaving trails of blood instead of bringing about a more peaceful world.
1: And yet, as the saying goes, when you're in a hole, stop digging. But they are breaking that that law. I could have set my stopwatch, but Singapore just uh, uh, upgraded its relations with China. And lo and behold, in the New York Times today, there's a, a smear on Singapore. Uh of the type that we've seen before. Uh, Well, Singapore's a big success story, but at what cost? Look at the lack of this, that, and the next thing in Singapore. Uh, Ditto Macron. Macron is getting the full Mark Rubio treatment. Uh, He is uh, being accused of betrayal because he made the (laughs) blindingly (laughs) obvious observation that to be someone's ally... Is not the same thing as being their vassal. So uh, right. they they don't seem to be reading the room in Washington.
2: Yeah. Well, you you and I are about the same age. You recall how Charles de Gaulle used to constantly tweak uh, the, the Washington president, whoever it was at the time, that de Gaulle was not, not going to be on his knees bowing and scraping before the West. He was going to do what he wanted what he felt was uh, best in, in France's interest. Now, I think Macron is a terrible leader, but uh, he's smart enough to recognize that tying himself to the United States at this point is a losing cause. By contrast, I don't know if you saw any of the images of Rishi Sunak uh, my, with with Joe Biden today. My lord, I have never seen a sycophant stucking up in such a in such a uh, I mean, he was like a schoolgirl with one of the Beatles back in the day. I mean, he was just giddy with joy, uh, no gravitas about that. And you know, Joe Biden probably didn't even know where he was.
1: <laughs> and he certainly ain't no John Lennon, uh, not even a Ringo Starr. Yeah. Uh, but the the the, <laughs> the 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 reality is that this West of which we speak is an Anglo-Saxon bubble, isn't it? And that's increasingly obvious. There was some polling done by, I think, Gallup uh, in Germany this week, uh, which showed that up to 40% of the German public opinion uh, had a positive or slightly positive attitude towards the Russian action in Ukraine. Almost 40 percent, in fact, exactly 40 percent, thought that the Russians had a point in what they were saying about the Ukraine story. Um, No wonder James Rubin or uh, uh, Mr. Christian Amanpour is on a tour of Central Europe at the moment trying to root out uh, any such uh, dissident views. But it's too late, Larry. The cat is out of the bag the identification of the U.S. with a losing cause is now almost universal.
2: Well, you know, the United States has gotten away just in the last 23 years, an invasion of Afghanistan, an invasion of Iraq, an invasion of Syria, military operations in Libya, attempted coup, a successful coup, in the Maidan in Ukraine, attempted coups in Belarus, Uh, in Belarus, in Kazakhstan, in Georgia. And so the United States is uh, is, is out of control. We have up to this point been able to throw our weight around, overthrow governments at will, and gotten away with it. And nobody's pushed back. But now Russia's pushing back. Russia's saying no more. And uh, the, the Chinese watched this, I think, very carefully and realized that if they did not stand with Russia pushing back against the West, they would be the next ones on the chopping block, because the language here in the United States is that China is our enemy, that Taiwan is not a part of China. Everything that US policy has been predicated on since Richard Nixon went to China in 1972 is now disappeared, vanished. It's it's as if we're living in an alternate universe.
1: And if you make that twenty-three years, twenty-five years, we'll throw in Yugoslavia, which I said in Parliament yeah, at yes. the time, if they if they get away with this in Yugoslavia, a whole series of similar uh, attacks, invasions, occupations will follow, and that was obvious to me then, and not alas to the majority of my compatriots, still less the uh, citizens of Europe. But this idea is spreading like wildfire now, that European prosperity, manufacturing capacity, uh, energy security, uh, currency stability, are all now gravely undermined by shackling ourselves to a president as unimpressive, indeed downright creepy and scary, as Joe Biden, it's very right. hard to understand what kind of political leadership that was. I think Macron is uh, is a change in the wind, don't you?
2: Yes, yes. I mean, it's uh, it's pointing out the weakness of Joe Biden. The policies that the United States are pursuing are not the policies of Joe Biden. It is as you know, we like to talk about the deep state. But when you think about it, just take as one example. The United States sees Iran as a threat. So how did the United States come up with a policy to deal with Iran? We went got with the Saudis, got behind the Saudis and starting a war in Yemen, going against the Houthi rebels who were had some relationship with Iran, but we saw that as a way to try to weaken Iran and in the process, killing tens of thousands of Yemenis men, women, children with nobody in the United States was losing a night's sleep over it. This is fundamental evil. It is fundamental evil what the United States has become. We we push out this line that we have to fear China and Russia because they are aggressive imperial powers. Yet the fact is the last country that China invaded was Vietnam, and that was in response to a Vietnamese uh, invasion of Cambodia, and that was over 40 years ago. Uh, Russia has a, has gone into Georgia in response to being attacked and, and in response to what the NATO governments were doing with Ukraine over the last eight years, threatening Russia. Other than that, the only time Russia's gone overseas militarily is, was at the invitation of the government of Syria. The only country in the world, actually two, the only countries in the world that have been aggressive in carrying out military operations in other nations without the permission of those nations are the United States and the United Kingdom. The blood is on the hands of the Anglo-Saxon.
1: Yes, alas, alas, as you and I uh, think are are both, although I'm from the Celtic fringe. just lastly, Larry, and I, I'm always grateful for your time and wisdom. Really seriously, uh, this these threats against China, they can't really be real, are they? Is it rhetoric? Is it bluff? Is it a poker game? Do they think the Chinese will back down? Because I'll tell you what: the more I, if I was in charge of China, Larry. Uh, Taiwan would already be in my hands uh, by now, because if they are going to Ukrainianize Taiwan, well, you might as well take it now, than have to fight all the harder to take it uh, once the United States has fortified it. Are they really going to turn Taiwan into the new Ukraine?
2: Yes, they're going to try. I, it is, I, I agree with you, it's craziness, it's an insanity. There, the United States does not have the military power to fight China and win, short of using nuclear weapons, and even then, that ends up being a suicide pact. So yet the rhetoric among the political leaders, Republican and Democrat alike in the United States, the, the message reflected in the media. The message reflected in many of the major corporations is increasingly describing China as an enemy, as the ultimate threat. We need to get, you know, Russia is seen as a minor irritant, that the real enemy, people say this, the real enemy is China. Now, China has heard that. That's one of the reasons why the United States has been desperately trying to make a phone call to Xi Jinping. He refuses to pick up the phone. He won't talk to us anymore. I don't blame it. I wouldn't talk to us. So this is—I I, think—unfortunately, you, you and I, and your and your viewers and listeners are living in one of the most dangerous times uh, in the last uh, 150 years. It, it is fraught with peril, and uh, the United States, I fear, is going to do something incredibly stupid. The only silver lining in that is it will be uh, like an alcoholic waking up after a near-death experience that may compel a change in what up to this point has have been dead-end imperialist policies.
1: Unless Trump comes back, Larry, he, he says he can sort it all out with a few phone calls.
2: <laughs> now, I mean, unfortunately, Trump, too, is, uh, he's less inclined to, 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 for military adventurers. That is true. But he still labors under the illusion that the America's got the greatest military power in the world. But we got the most expensive military power. It's so we're driving, we're like a Lamborghini with no tires. So, uh, you know, we're very costly, but you can't drive us anywhere.
1: How brilliantly put, a Lamborghini with no tires. That's a phrase, a zinger that will live. <laughs> Larry Johnson, as always, you never disappoint. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows.
2: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast
1: with George Galloway. Just over a year ago, my next guest was an activist anti-war figure inside Russia, opposed to Russia's military operation or invasion, as it is uh, more properly described than as I always describe it. She was opposed to it. She demonstrated against it and then someone took her to the Donbass to see the reality on the ground as lived by the Russian-speaking people of eastern Ukraine for eight long years at the hands of one president after another who had come to power initially as a result of the violent coup d'etat in Kiev. And what she saw there so profoundly affected her that she has been returning to the Donbass over and over again. She is a translator, but she is now best described as a volunteer in Donbass, trying to help the people there who continue to be bombed and shelled every hour of every day, this time with Western-supplied guns. Her name is Masha Lelyanova. And I'm very glad to welcome her to the mother of all talk shows. Masha, thank you uh, for uh, joining us. Uh, did I explain your situation correctly? If so, uh, say more about it. If not, please correct it.
4: Yes, uh, everything's correct. Thank you very much for having me on your show, Mr. Galloway. That's true. About a year ago, I was, well, a little bit more than a year ago, I was protesting on the streets of Moscow and not being able to cope with all this, left Moscow for a forest shelter, asylum, or nozark, if you will, a rehab rehabilitation center for baby seals, where I spent all the spring and half of summer. And after that, I returned to Moscow and went to Donbass with an American journalist. John Mark Dugan, in whose studio I am now. And that trip changed everything and actually brought some meaning into my life.
1: Tell us uh, what it was that you found there that changed your life.
4: I found there people. I talked to people who uh, told me what really was happening. To be honest i thought that they would tear me apart because i'm russian that they would blame me for all the devastation around them for all the horrific things that happened and instead they were thanking me for being there and for translating for john for bringing humanitarian aid that john had with him to uh to uh, for for these people and uh, it was incredible and uh, the more i talked to them the more stories i heard the more i understood that everything i knew was not true that everything i knew was like 180 percent, so completely opposite to um what the reality was uh you know give us an example and, was...
1: and who who, who was res- yeah who was responsible for that uh, misinformation or even disinformation that you had been fed uh were you well, following western media uh sources for example
4: i i was following the western media yes i was following all the channels that uh all the telegram channels that uh really um supported the the, the uh the narrative of the western media it never even occurred to me to look at what the russian media was saying I was thinking that it was all lies and uh, it was um, really, um, well, I understand that it was an absolutely wrong approach, but I honestly never gave a chance to the Russian media uh, at all, but I had to get some information from somewhere and I thought that the Western media was a more reliable source and um, that was very wrong, as <laughs> as wrong as it only could be, Yeah.
1: Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it, as wrong as it only can be. Well, uh, I, I'd like to thank John McDougain for taking you there. Uh, yeah, I'm very grateful to him as well. It made an impact on you. Yeah, uh, we, we must all be. Uh, now, you were so affected by it that you've been regularly returning. Uh, how have things changed in the last, uh, well, that'll be about nine months uh, or so, uh, since you first visited. How have things changed? In what way have they gotten better? In what way are they still the same? And if any, in what way are they worse?
4: Well, uh, since August, when I went there for the first time, till now, I have been there eight times and uh, delivered humanitarian aid to all uh, areas of Donbass. That being from Mariupol to Severodonetsk, Lysychansk. So, the whole, uh, the whole area. And as for what got better, what got worse, well, uh, for example, if we talk about what got worse, one of the places that we visited in August uh, was uh, Svitagorsk, which is now under Ukrainian control. That definitely got worse because uh, there is no way to bring humanitarian aid there and God knows what's going on there now. Uh In terms of what got better, we can have a wonderful example of the city of Mariupol, which is being rebuilt. And every time I go there, I see the incredible speed of construction, renovation of everything. Like You can see where there was total devastation. Now there are new windows. Now there is a new restaurant opened, a new cafe opened. It's really amazing and very inspiring. The roads are fantastic there because they're all rebuilt. They're all new. Uh, So the construction is happening where the Ukraine is not uh, shelling anymore. Uh, well, it's too far for them to shell, apparently, too far for them to bomb. As for uh, the areas where they do reach, of course, nothing gets better there. Donetsk, volnovakha um, Makievka, Gorlovka, all these cities are under constant fire, under constant shelling. And, uh, of course... Uh, you cannot talk about any improvement as just yet because the cities are being terrorized by Ukraine. And unfortunately, the, uh, all the, the more... weapons that are supp- supplied to do that are Western weapons. So they get more and more and they use it yeah. against civilians.
1: Yes, quite obviously. Uh, as indeed they have been doing for eight long years as the minutes of the OSCE uh, amply testify, although they... Are no longer in the public domain. Uh, enough screenshots of them uh, are easily found. Um, mm-hmm. The more you look at it, Marsha, the more impossible it seems that uh, in any outcome of all this, that the Russian-speaking people in Ukraine could ever go back under the governance of the authorities in Kiev. The country is obviously going to be partitioned, isn't it? And if so, uh, what parts? I mean, for example, can Odessa possibly be left under the control of Kiev uh, when it is such an iconic Russian city? uh, It seems impossible that this military operation could fail to uh, liberate Odessa. Uh, And if Odessa then what about the Russian people in Transnistria, now threatened by Romania and Moldova and Ukraine uh, and 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 NATO? So the more you look at it, the more you see the partition will have to be drastic, won't it?
4: Well, it is drastic on many levels. You see, before uh, the special military operation began, for example, Mariupol was really pro-Ukrainian. It took the devastation of the city to happen for people who stayed there to realize who the real enemy was. And uh, then they all voted pro-Russia. They all voted to be with Russia. I really hope that this fate will not happen to Odessa or to uh, Pridnestrovnik or Transnistria, as you said. I really hope that it's not going to happen. But this uh, clash or the separation of Russian and Ukrainian is happening on every level. The problem is the people there are all Russian and Ukrainian. You can't separate this. It's like you would you would choose, okay, my leg is Ukrainian and my arm is Russian. Ukrainian. How do you do this? We are, I mean, I said it before and I would probably be really hated by Ukrainians for saying that, but we are the same people. It's impossible to separate it. It's artificial. It's absolutely wrong. And... Uh, it's, it's totally insane that this separation is happening, that this division is happening, be, the division into Russians and Ukrainians, because, well, there is no division, honestly. So I really hope that it won't happen to Odessa and it won't happen to Transnistria, but, well, who knows? Who knows? The craziness of this well, whole look, war lastly, is such that yeah. anything can happen.
1: Lastly, Masha, it's a difficult question to answer. You may not even want to hazard a guess. But what you've described is uh, the sense of epiphany that you experienced when John brought you to Donbass, which turned your view 180 degrees. Your former activist friends who were against the war in the beginning, who demonstrated against the war, how many of them do you think have experienced similar changes in their outlook, and how many have remained entirely uh, opposed to the uh, to the Kremlin and their and their war effort?
4: Well, my friends are stubborn people. They are as stubborn as I was. and uh, it is my belief that for them to change their mind, Uh, they would also have to go there with open eyes and open hearts and open ears. Otherwise, there is nothing I can tell them to move them, to change them. However, those people who were on the edge, if you will, not really knowing, but not really having an exact opinion, just being in this state of shock and horror of uh, how to live in this horrible, crazy war, you know, how to live in this situation, those people did I mean, many of them did come around and listened to me. And I received a lot of feedback from so many of them. Even those, from those who, for example, didn't spoke to me for the last 10 years. They found me on social media, on Facebook or anywhere and thanked me because it was like literally now is the first time since the beginning of the war that I can breathe without shame that I have not left Russia. I received comments like that or comments like, thank you so much for my daughter. Now we talk to each other. You can't believe how much you did for our family because people divorce because of that. People stop talking to their children, stop talking to their parents, stop talking to their siblings because of that. This is something that cuts the family, you know, by the meat. It's, it's insane. And uh, yes, there are many who did thank me for uh, speaking out for, getting out, for getting out into this media field and uh, because, because not, or at least there, there were many who, st- who thanked me for helping them to now understand how a relative or family member thinks, so they now know how to communicate.
1: Well, thank you for your candor, your honesty, your eloquence. And thank uh, John again, not just for the use of the studio, but for taking you to the Donbass in the first place. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Marsha, for, for joining sure. us on the mother of all talk shows. Much appreciated. Let's see if this poll is getting any better for Joe Biden and the Doolally Dalai Lama. Uh, I'm afraid 95%, 97%, 97% and 97% of 13,440 people watching the show right now think that both of them should be kept away from children. How about that then? I'll be back in 60 seconds. Count As I say, how lucky we are to have the audience that we do, a million people every week, watching all or part of the mother of all talk shows and most attentive to what they hear, and many of them truly brilliant students. It's quite humbling, actually.
3: Oh, George! Uh, blessings upon your cranium. It's yes, it's the metamorphosis, man, or me the more for this—the intimations of immortality experiences. <laughs> George, you, I like what you said. I, I love a lot of things you're saying. You know, your, your daily communion with God is through your conscience. I, I wanted to comment on that. That's beautifully said your Socratic method on the on-air university is very beneficial and I can only speak personally. Um, I uh, have appreciated because I had called last time in regard to the general strike and you helped to really refine my understanding of that from a different point. The alternative point of view. When I heard that last week and again today, I had this kind of visceral gut reaction to it. And I know what you're, what you mean by that. And, you know, the most audience knows what they mean by that because we're all informed citizens. We wouldn't be here if we weren't. For the the masses who don't necessarily follow uh, geopolitics, let's say, they're gonna listen to whatever the mainstream media tells them. And for them, anything that's alternative the automatic kind of reaction is, "Oh, okay, it's a crackpot view, it's a conspiracy theory, it's an extreme view." When really, it's not. It's let's call it what it is: it's fact-based commentary.
5: Hello, George. Nice like to talk to you. By the way, you deserve every penny you get because you're the only person who speaks the truth over all the fake
4: news. I wanted to personally thank you for um, bringing such great guests that speak about the situation also i have become uh, more aware of of people like Bla- max blumenthal and um, at the gray zone and others who who do update us with the correct information about syria and um this has just uh, been such a great
0: eye-opener so thank you
1: you are the people who have stuck with this show and transformed it into a truly global university where it can be said that every month at least 4 million people will watch this show. They're in Greece. They're in Canada. They're in America. They're in England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales. They're in New Zealand. They're in Australia. They're in Norway, Denmark, Sweden. They're in Finland. They're all over the world. They're in Africa with a call from Nigeria. This is a truly global phenomenon, and that is down to you.
2: You are listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway.
1: Some uh, Patreon comments. My Patreon page is, how shall I put it, rather important to me. It's what I depend on. Uh, so if you want to support me, it'll cost you less than one cup of coffee per week, it is patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Uh, many of you are genuinely helping me a lot by supporting me like Roger Morley, just become a patron. George is too good to miss. Thank you, Roger. And Andrew Cope. These people shouldn't be admired in their power nor destroyed in their weakness, they are simply the animal we call human. I like Gandhi's approach. Be the change you want to see. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Quack quacks says, where does their immunity lead us to? No values. And Gandhi says, geez, from ten to nine onwards, I got a daft amount of messages from family and friends in Uganda, all telling me to get onto my phone and watch the mother of all talk shows. You're pretty popular in little villages in rural Uganda, as long as their data holds out. Andy, I'm going to cut that one out and pin it on my wall. Let's go to the lines. In the Whittle, in England, Rob is there, wants to talk about Joe Biden, who is, of course, in Northern Ireland right at this moment. Rob, what would you like to say?
6: Hi, George. Good evening. Um... He's not in Northern Ireland anymore. He was briefly slept most of the way through it. He had a token visit, I think. And I don't think it's got a...
1: Where does he know? Has he left already? Has he left back to the United States already?
6: Not at all, no. He's in the Republic now. He he, 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 he took off from Belfast and landed in Dublin several hours ago, I might add. Um,
1: he's pretending to be an Irishman, like Rishi Sunak's pretending to be an Englishman.
6: Something like that. I think what Biden's actually doing is he's making the point that he's actually um, an Irishman. I think that I, I think the majority of his visit, is the substantive, there uh, for three three days, two of which will be spent in the Republic, where. Okay. his
1: family did uh his family did leave Ireland in the 1840s as uh as white settlers uh, to uh, conquer the natives uh, but uh hey if he's a plastic paddy uh good luck to him they'll probably get him some votes
6: oh uh, that's exactly I, I think you it nailed uh, on the head he, I think that's what this is about it's got nothing to do with the um the the protocols of the 25th anniversary, power sharing and so on. I think it is a vote thing for him. And uh, we'll see him dressed up, par- paraded around. I mean, that's assuming someone's told him he's in Ireland. But um, <laughs> I I, <just> think, <laughs> I think that's exactly what what it's, what it's about. I mean, he showed his two colours a, a couple of weeks back. Uh, on on Paddy's day with his tie and his lapel um, and it, it's a long tradition really, but going back to the point this is a vote this is a vote thing. He's announced he wants to run again <laughs> um,
1: so I'm he, not sure of run is the right I'm not sure of run is the right word Rob stagger would be uh, more apposite. Thanks for your observations and for updating me on his itinerary. I'm not following it as closely as perhaps I should have. Anne-Marie is in South Africa on Africa Awakening. Ah, we've lost Anne-Marie, unfortunately. I do want to talk with her. I don't get enough calls from South Africa. Anne-Marie, please call back. Uh, some YouTube comments then. Uh, Jack Klugman, great name, says... National Pentagon Radio uh, for NPR, forgive me. Kenny Openmind says a headbutt equals a Scottish kiss. Does you know? And uh, Nicholas Byrne says the U.S. has around 750 military bases in 80 countries. Russia and China have less than a handful. Who are the imperialists? Plain to be seen, follow the money. And John O'Brien says, I emailed Ursula von der Leyen and told her that MEP Claire Daly was on the Ukraine kill list, and what was she going to do about it? I got no reply. Shame on her. And Pub O'Kiasm says, Gigi is the best thing that ever came from the West. Thank you very much. What a kind thing to say. Uh, back to the lines then. Australia. Uh, where Ahmed wants to talk about the decline of the U.S. dollar. Go ahead, Ahmed. Assalamu alaikum, George. Wa well, alaikum, wa rahmatullah, barakatuh.
7: George, uh, I just wanted to ask one question. So um, the question is regarding to Kenya. I'm not a Kenyan. I'm, I'm Somalian. But um, um, just recently, I uh, saw that Kenya has... Um, started trading
1: its oil with Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, in shillings. shillings. In shillings. In shillings, yeah. In Kenyan yeah. shillings. How wonderful. I never thought I'd see I- the word shillings again in any newspaper <laughs> headline, but I saw that one.
7: Yes, definitely, because I'm Somali. We also use shillings in,
1: in, in, in Somalia. Really? I grew up on yeah. shillings. I grew up on shillings, Ahmed, so they mean a lot to me. Yeah, Ten that's shillings that's, 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 and sixpence was my first wage. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just wanted to know if you know anything that
7: um, how this all came about, and um, if you can maybe elaborate on what is if, uh, really actually happening in Kenya. If,
5: if you if you know anything about it.
1: Uh, well, I, I, not as much as I uh, would like to, uh, but I can't be an expert on everything and everywhere. But the Kenyan economy uh, is sufficiently robust that its currency is, uh, is proper currency in many people's eyes that trade with it. In which case, why uh, involve the middleman when the middleman may confiscate your money at any moment? may freeze it, may give it away to someone else. The United States has destroyed its own dollar. In uh, As Robert F. Kennedy just said in an important uh, discussion uh, with Scott Ritter uh, online, and you must see that if you haven't seen it yet, that the U.S. has destroyed the dollar as a reserve currency by its wanton, rapacious use of economic sanctions, and then in the case of Russia, and not only Russia, actually seizing the private property of private citizens, and giving the money they seize to another group of uh, citizens. Um, Zelensky and his gang, who Seymour Hersh has just alleged, stole $400 million given to them by the US as a fuel subsidy. So. Uh, Why not trade if you are Iran and you're selling something to Kenya uh, or vice versa? Why not use Iranian currency and Kenyan currency? Why involve the dollar at all? Now, this idea has taken hold and it's now unstoppable because people know that apart from the seizures and the sanctions, the U.S. dollar is not worth the paper it's written on. Because nothing underpins it. The only thing that ever underpinned it since Bretton Woods was the notion that it was the reserve currency. And moreover, since 1973, that it would be the petrodollar. uh, That all oil trading in the world would be conducted in dollars. That's why you still uh, hear and quote the price of oil is... $80 a barrel, or closing on $100 a barrel. But, of course, if the dollar isn't any longer the currency of choice for reserve transactions, if there are other SWIFT uh, systems operating in the world, why take the risk of banking uh, with America? (laughs) I certainly wouldn't if I had the choice, Ahmed. In Australia. Thank you. We've got Anne Marie from South Africa back. Uh, welcome, Anne Marie. I,
8: I would like to say the following. I love your show in the first place, but but um, yeah, I grew up in apartheid and thanks for your participation in your efforts. Um, I also have um, a <clears throat> uh, multiple, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, I'm I'm speaking, I'm actually, I don't know, my my language is like, um, um, what I want to say is Africa is the place to be. It's such a multipolar place, and we are on the side of, more on the Russian side, not because of Russians or Chinese, but but what they're standing for. We grew up with... um, the Americans being on the one side and, and we saw what they did not and the West. Um, but from South Africa, we and the youth and the people that's growing up, we're just seeing this different, different viewpoint of the West. And I'm 50 plus, but I'm seeing the kids and I'm working with a lot of kids and, and that's just amazing how Africa is growing and um, the viewpoint of the kids. Um, One thing I just wanted to say is like the Dalai Lama and those guys are just not on. We can't go with that.
1: No. uh, Anne-Marie, thank you for your kind words. Uh, I'm very proud of some things in my life and that is one of them. Uh, having uh, stood for uh, the liberation of Southern Africa and in a very small way uh, participated in the victory of that struggle. I was talking uh, to a young man from Angola only yesterday uh, about the time I spent with the MPLA and the victorious liberation uh, movements uh, right across Southern Africa against a variety of foes. One thing we were able quickly to agree on uh, was that the so-called West was on the side of apartheid and white supremacy, and the so-called baddie Russians and Chinese were on the side of the majority in their struggle to liberate themselves from that apartheid, from that oppression, and therefore the point of view of Southern Africa and indeed the rest of the continent. Uh, on the current standoff between East and West is entirely understandable. Why would you support a West that was deeply implicated until the last moment in your national and racial oppression? And, of course, the whole of the continent of Africa is a vast treasure trove. If Russia has lots of minerals, Africa has more. Uh, Africa has uh, a billion people, Uh, and if they can find unity and can find the support of the likes of the Belt and Road Initiative, which China is forging ahead with, uh, then the connectivity, the infrastructure, ports, roads, bridges, highways, airports that are now sprouting in African countries will accelerate the already underway uh, rapid progress of the peoples of Africa, not in uh, my lifetime, perhaps not even in yours, Anne-Marie, but our children will live in a time where Africa is truly great, where it is economically, culturally, and politically great, one of the great powers in a new multipolar world. Sing hallelujah for that. I certainly do. Anne-Marie, God bless you. Amandla, uh, to you and all my friends in South Africa. And now on the line is Chris in Edinburgh. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Hello, George.
5: Uh, now, hi. You, you know that Robert Kennedy is going to be running for president, and I find that very interesting. Um, but I think... I think it's a foregone conclusion unless he sells out that is, um, you know, before he was nominated. If the ruling class get to him and, you know, uh, we'll do this for you, just agree to this. So as long as he doesn't, if he doesn't do that, uh, the Democrats will just do to him what they did to Bernie Sanders, right? So I think, I think this is a brilliant ticket, Trump and Robert Kennedy, but Robert runs as his VP. And uh, the, the truth is, I, I, I didn't just come up with this idea, just to mention it to, to you, you know. Uh, they actually align on some key issues. But most of all, George, I think we would have two people in the White House that aren't rabid warmongers, you know. And actually, I really think that ticket could work on multiple levels. It, would, uh, it could even help unite Americans, because there's a big divide there right now, you know? And I really don't think it's a bad idea at all, you know? So I just wonder what you... Uh, I think, uh, what it I think
1: uh, yeah, I think it's a very smart idea, Chris. It had not occurred to me. Uh, there's no way that DeSantis will be on the ticket with uh, Trump. Uh, the polling this week shows that he's been trumped. Uh, Donald Trump is now over 60 percent... Uh, in Republican polling for the primaries that are uh, upcoming for the 24 election, which will soon be upon us. Uh, And DeSantis is down in the low 20 percent and there's nobody else. So the question of who would be Donald Trump's running mate is a very uh, important one. And uh, the proposal you make uh, is a very interesting one. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, we did a big discussion on this on Wednesday night's show uh, with, uh, with expert testimony, so please do listen back to it uh, on the Robert F. Kennedy declaration that he's running. He's launching in Boston, I think, uh, this weekend. Uh, he is a high recognition. His name could not be more famous. His family line could not be more famous. He's going to be a handful if they get him into the debates. It's difficult to see how you could keep American Democratic royalty off the debates, Uh, but they will not allow him to win. They will indeed do to him what uh, they did to Bernie Sanders. The difference, I hope, between Kennedy and Sanders is that Kennedy would then run as an independent, having been uh, effectively carved out. Uh, of the Democratic Party's nomination. Uh, but the proposal you make is an interesting variation on a theme and I'm grateful that you made it here on the Mother of All talk shows. Andrew is in Hull in England on Larry Johnson. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Andrew. Uh, thank you, George. Salaam alaikum uh, to you.
7: I, I, my ears pricked up when uh, Larry likened much of the of, uh, situation in the globe today in terms of an alcoholic and therefore bringing in this disease of addiction, which is my field. I'm a spiritual counsellor and I've been writing uh, for the last 10 years uh, in a couple of blogs, building mainly upon the work of a woman called Anne Wilson Schaef, S-C-H-A-E-F, who wrote a book in 1987 it became on the New York bestsellers list and the title of the book was When Society Becomes an Addict and she put forward the compelling uh, thesis as a working psychotherapist and a PhD herself that the world was slipping into this spiritual disease of disconnect and that the systemic bodies would in future act like drunks and junkies and their heads would come off and the executive function would collapse and their mission statements would collapse and they would inevitably be involved in all kinds of insane behaviour, the kind of insanity that an individual person is reduced to in this disease of addiction, which appears to be physical and mental, physical and mental, physical and mental. So it banjaxes the orthodox medical structures, but in fact it is a spiritual disease. And the 12-step program is 85 years of evidence as really the only way out for a person when they collapse in the degradation of all of the particular forms of addiction, which is a singular disease of uh, massive proportions.
1: What's happened over Indeed the last... Indeed so. Andrew, An- Andrew, you should draw up a 12-step program for the states that are now displaying uh, this uh alcoholic, addiction, junkie, addiction-type behaviour. Have you thought about doing that, or have you already done that? RT.global, I've
7: uh, coined an approach called Diction Resolution Therapy, and I have a corporate page offering uh, my services to uh, executive functions of uh, institutions, systems, and governments. And my wife often berates me saying, look, Andrew, you can't 12-step the United Nations. And I say, look, I can only do what my God gives me to do. And This is uh,
1: uh, uh, the, the time of a, the need of a constant me Give me, give week, me so. those, uh, yeah. Andrew, give me those addresses again, because I didn't get them. I don't know if the audience did. Say them again. It's DRT,
7: that's Delta Romeo Tango, DRT.global. That's my website. And I have a corporate page on there offering my services to any systemic body or government uh, that wants to avail themselves of a diagnostic of illness. Because my view is that only an illness diagnostic, di- diagnostic has a chance of bringing the executive functions of nations together, admitting that both sides are ill, and and thereby being able to save face. You see, it may be that Russia has um, a lower hypocrisy rating, uh, which is all that spiritual uh, uh, calibration can look at in terms of this war being fought in in the Ukraine. But the fact is, all sides are so mired with hypocrisy and trauma over the last 150 years that it's very difficult to detach Russia from Stalin killing 20 million to impose a reaction to theism and communism. And it's very hard to extract China from Mao Zedong's 40 million Chinese he killed to establish communism. So the world is in this place of trauma in reaction to the paradox of the singular. Uh, nature of the black hole, the singular nature of E equals MC squared. And when the orthodox gets into trouble, as it has done over the hundreds of thousands of years, it's only the paradox that can bring a message of hope into that court, into that um, government uh, situation. And therefore, I come from the message of the paradox, as does everyone in a 12-step program, as does everyone who is really trying to align themselves to the love of one spirit.
1: So, uh, well, look, I don't, I I don't, uh, uh, yeah, I don't go with you, uh, all the way on all of that, but it was an exceedingly interesting call. Uh, your numbers are bunkum, by the way, about both Russia and China, but we'll debate that perhaps on another occasion. Nonetheless, the, uh, the core point that you were making and that Larry made, uh, that, uh, that the, big powers in the West are acting like uh, drunks, uh, alcoholic drunks, uh, on a bender uh, and may or may not still be alive to wake up uh, cold turkey uh, and so on. Uh, These are interesting uh, themes and I'm grateful to you for having made them. How about this comment from YouTube? Captain Blimp says, George, do you know you are wearing a Brigade of Guards tie? You say that as if it's a bad thing, Captain. But as a matter of fact, it isn't a Brigade of Guards tie. Uh, Super chats again. Thank you so much for donating. John Kelly, £5. I'm an OAP on a state pension, but f- for going one meal a week is well worth it to support moats. Keep up the great work, George. I'm humbled by that, John. Thank you. Robin Brack sends ninety nine. Lim Ibrahim sends Canadian dollars 2.79. And Doc Jazz, a very good friend of the show, sends £10.91 in the form of AED50. Thank you, Doc, as always. Thank you for your focus on Palestine in your monologue. Janine, where my grandmother is from, will continue to resist no matter what. Palestine will not be broken. I know Janine very well. I know the camp exceedingly well. Uh, not long before the Iraq war uh, in 2003, I was in the Janine camp immediately after uh, a massacre. Uh, alongside, by the way, the editor of this show, Ron Makai, you could still smell the uh, dead people under the rubble. Uh, you could still smell the cordite and the gas. And the one thing that struck me most about the camp in Jenin is that you literally, if you climb on a roof, can see your own house and your own land and your own trees, your own gardens, your own fruit being picked by foreigners who came from New York or London or Paris or or, or, or Russia. Uh, You can see people, settlers, who took your land and your house, and you are now living behind the wire in a refugee camp in Jenin, subject to regular massacre like the one that occurred today. I saw a video today of a young man literally being shot in the back and killed as he was walking along the street in Jenin by Israeli special forces. It's not something I'm ever likely to forget. Let's go to Doncaster in England and talk with Tel. Go ahead, Tel. What would you like to say? I'd like to
9: say uh, good evening, George. And uh, it's nice to speak to you again. It's been over a year.
1: Well, welcome, Tel. What would you like to talk about tonight?
9: Well, uh, what we talked about last time uh, was uh, we're actually, one of the topics that night was the boat crossings, uh over the channel uh, but iphone Yeah, you might
1: remember well they're, oh, they're oh, still going <laughs>
9: yeah but i was talking about uh the about uh you, you called me a hippie at the time and uh, and i was talking about how it's spaceship earth and we all bleed red and uh, and since that time i think the world's become a feels a little smaller with the threat of nuclear war possibly on the horizon yeah. And I wondered whether, yeah. since since the last conversation, whether your view had changed slightly. I mean, you've always been an anti-nuclear campaigner, as far as I'm aware. Um, so, um, I, I wanted to... I, well, well, uh, well, well,
1: yeah, go on. Carry on, sir. No, you go on, go on.
9: Well, I, I wanted to... Ask you whether you'd actually ever seen that photograph, uh, the pale blue dot that was taken by Voyager in 1990. And uh, Carl Sagan asked it to turn around and take a picture of the Earth from 4 billion miles away, and it appears as a tiny pixel, uh, 0.1 of a pixel. And in his book, he, uh, he has a quote, and I wondered if I could read that to you. Yeah, and it's please. This. Look again at that dot, that's here, that's home, that's us. Everyone on it you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was and lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every person in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species live there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known.
1: I couldn't put it more profoundly than that, Tell, and I will not try. Uh, it does put in perspective uh, all kinds of things from the familial, from the domestic, to the global. Uh, It is indeed a miracle that this pale blue dot uh, was created by the Almighty, that humanity and all kinds of life has proliferated now for so long, and for all the bad things that uh, humanity has done, it has done some great things. Uh, The achievements of humankind, are many and and wondrous, and the folly and the crimes of humankind equally many and uh, deplorable. Uh, but we have no alternative. There is no other blue dot to which we can flee. Uh, we have to make a success of this, a better success of this blue dot than we have made hitherto, or the danger of the blue dot no longer being there, being extinguished by environmental depredation, by nuclear war, uh, by by mass uh, hunger, and so on, uh, are all there. And if we do not resolve them with the enormous technology that we now have, if we don't have the sociology catch up with the technology, if we can't distribute the product of the earth, the wealth of the world, more fairly. If we cannot resolve conflicts without resorting to war and endlessly preparing for and instigating war when we're not actually waging it, then the risk is very real that that blue dot that you described, Carl Sagan described so beautifully, uh, will cease to exist. and. What an endless aeon of pity that would be. Very powerful call. Thank you very much indeed. Probably the last one. But uh, the last few super chats, if I may. Mose H uh, sends five pounds. Thank you. TC sends 10 US dollars. Topcat, J. Matson Heininger, five US dollars. My monthly contribution. See a builder's tale on Substack. Thank you so much for that. Cookies, 66 uh, £2, thank you. David Hart, 20 US dollars. What's it going to take for the US to get leaders who will stop viewing the world in mid-20th century terms and work with other nations for the good of all mankind? We need real statesmen and women, not the crap we have now. Thanks, David. YouTube comment, Robert Nisbet. Hi, George, your tie is great because it is the King Goosey, Shinty Club Colors. I didn't want to tell them, Robert, but I'm a big supporter of the Kingusi Shinty Club. Uh, And uh, Gayatri mentions that I should mention that right after this show, I'm on with the legendary Jimmy Dore on his show. So if you want to hear more from me, then make sure you retune to Jimmy Dore right after this but in any case, you should all be watching Jimmy Door, the best show in the world of its kind. Ah, I'm sorry, I do have one more call, and I can never refuse her anything. It's the legend, Norma, from Bristol. Go ahead, Norma.
0: Hello, George. Um, I like Jimmy Dore, too. I must have to, I'll have to, to, to sign into your programme. No, um, yeah. that Mary Johnson, your guest, is a this danger ahead. Mm. And I just wondered nobody's mentioned landmines. And apparently they've been used in Ukraine by the Russians and the Ukrainians. And to my mind they're just another awful weapon. Because I mean, you've got you've got the depleted uranium, But this they've got such bad effects, like you can. Because for a long time, um, even when the war is finished, um, they're still there and to get rid of them is so dangerous. And I just think landmines are another awful, scary weapon situation. Really.
1: Yes, they are. Uh, And uh, although not all countries signed up to their banning, they are uh, in Western uh, countries at least, banned from use, but not our allies, the Ukrainians. Uh, The definition of a weapon of mass destruction is one which is unlimited in space and time. In other words, a weapon which, long after, as you say, the war is over, will still be killing people and blowing the legs and limbs of people, still be destroying the lives of people. And that is true everywhere, from Korea to the Ukraine. Uh, the use of these landmines, which are never comprehensively demined, is very difficult in any case to begin to do so and very expensive to begin to do so. Uh, and of course, these uh, weapons uh, are not unlimited in space. They only kill you where they are actually laid, but they undoubtedly are weapons of mass destruction under that definition. But they're not the only weapons of mass destruction. They're not the only banned weapons that are being used. And the use of fragmentation bombs, cluster bombs, is an everyday occurrence in this terrible war, which should never have started and should now be brought to a negotiated end. But as Anthony Blinken said, the United States will not accept any decision by the Ukrainian government to negotiate a ceasefire and a peaceful solution. So they removed any doubt that we might have that this is a US war rather than a Ukrainian one. Norma, thank you as always for your uh, very thoughtful uh, call. Uh, I've run out of time and mustn't overshoot uh, by too much. So it remains only for me to say that, God willing, I'll be back on Sunday at the slightly earlier time of 7 p.m. UK time. And I hope that you will join me then for The Mothership, the Sunday edition of the mother of all talk shows. I will be on with Jimmy Dore right after these titles fade from your screen. And I'm always delighted to be on with Jimmy. Jimmy Dore in 24. How's that for an election ticket? It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. And join me on Sunday if it was.